All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Man, you guys are excited about Christmas Eve gatherings, clearly. Hey, welcome. It's, uh, it's great to be here with you on the third week of Advent. Um, these are some of my favorite gatherings. It's, it's magical that Phil's singing Christmas music. Um, we have a standing bass up here. Man, that's crazy and awesome. Um, hey, my name is Adam. I'm part of the team here at Mosaic, and it's, uh, it's great to be with you. I, I, like Tim and a lot of our team, I, I love this time of year. I love Christmas, all the trappings and the food and all those things. And, and even beyond that, what this season and this moment represents, um, that we get to look at the story God has told through sending his son. And, and we look at these four words that, that are represented in these candles of, of um, hope and joy and peace and love and, and words that... To describe the advent of Jesus. Um, advent being a Latin word that means the arrival. And it's just a moment that, that we stop and recognize the beauty, the absolute beauty of this story. And uh, so this morning we're going we're gonna to op- open scripture and, and continue uh, telling this story of the advent of Jesus. Um, but before I do, I want to I pray for our time. Um, Jesus, thank you that, that we get to celebrate um, you coming and taking on flesh and uh, being present with us, bringing hope and joy and peace and love to this world. And uh, I pray today as we, as we open your word, um, each and every time we open it, uh, that we expect to be reshaped by you and we expect to grow and to know you more. And, and I pray that that's the case today, especially as we're talking about peace. Um, I pray that, that this would not be idle information, but it would be uh, relevant and timely for us. And we thank you and we love you in your name. Amen. So uh, Christmas is a pretty big deal in the Harvey home. Um, we, we put up our first Christmas tree the day after Halloween. Um, our, our follow-up second Christmas tree comes the day after Thanksgiving. And my house is a winter wonderland. <laughs> Decorations everywhere that we can squeeze them in. Um, our girls' rooms are decorated. There's things on the window. We, we just unashamedly go for it. And um, the one thing that we haven't done the last few years that we've done in the past is decorate the outside of the house. Um, if you've been to my house, uh, you'll know that, I, that we are the, the last house on a dead-end street to nowhere. And so there's not a lot of incentive um, and motivation to hang outside lights on this two-story house, which is kind of perilous to get on this roof. And so we, we just didn't do it last year, and we weren't going to do it this year until one of the members of my family protested, a uh, significant protest. So yesterday... I, uh, I hung Christmas lights outside, and, and I went to the, the place in the garage where we store them, got the box, and they've been sitting here for two years, and I remember when I put them in there, everything was operational and good, and I put it in there orderly. When I opened the box, it was just chaos. I don't know how this happens, but, but the Christmas lights strands were all wound together, and as I'm pulling them apart, I, I plug some in, and some work, and some don't, and, and I don't remember some of the stuff that's in here, and half of it's broken, and it, it, it's just... It's chaos. It's just a box of chaos. And at times, at times, our lives can kind of resemble that box of chaos. Where things are messy and wound together and don't make sense. Things that are supposed to work aren't working. Things that are in there that shouldn't be in there. It's, it's just a mess and it's chaos and it's not peace. So where does Jesus meet us in this place? 
Where does Jesus, this, the, the advent of peace, where does he meet us in this place of chaos? I'm going to look at a, a passage this morning that's, that's pretty familiar for this time of year, and you'll probably even hear it again in the, the next weeks to come. Uh, but it's found in Isaiah 9. And if you have a Bible, you can flip there with me. If, uh, if you don't, there's Bibles in the wings and the shelves, and it'll be on the screen behind me. And um, Isaiah 9, we're going to read verse 6. And this, this is a prophecy that's written. It's a promise that's written to a people. And it says in verse 1 that, that it's a people who are, who are walking in darkness. Okay, so they, they don't have direction. They don't have clarity. They don't have light. It's, it's another way of saying they're, they're walking in, in chaos. They don't know what to do. They can't figure it out. And it says that, that the light is going to come. And in verse 6, this promise is given. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is a promise. This is a foreshadowing of the advent of Jesus. And you'll, you'll, you'll see that these words that describe who Jesus is and you'll notice that they're, that they're capitalized, meaning they're not just adverbs describing him. They're, they're titles. This is who he is. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The advent of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus is the advent of true and lasting peace. For a people walking in darkness, walking in chaos, peace, the prince of peace has come. The advent of peace. So how, how do we define this? What, what, what does peace look like? How do we access this? I, I think if we were working to say where do we experience peace, how do we define peace, the, the first place that we would reach is to say the, the absence of conflict. Right? We, we sometimes associate the word peace with war, and it's, it's the opposite of war. There, there is no conflict. There is no fighting. It's, it, it's a great, peaceful experience. And that peace represents and describes peace that I'm experiencing because of a peaceful situation around me. Right? And it's, it's wonderful when that happens. There's peace all around me and peace in my surroundings, and so I'm experiencing peace. In, in my, uh, my house... Four of the five members of my house um, have to be out the door Monday through Friday morning by 7.30. And this is a feat of chaos, I assure you. Um, breakfast has to be consumed. Lunches have to be made. Hopefully there's clothes on. they, they got to get out the door and it's just ruckus and chaos and trying to find shoes and trying to find homework and bags and all this stuff. And then the ruckus moves from my living room into a minivan and goes away. And I walk inside, and I close the door, and it's just tranquility. It's just awesome. I look at Coco, my dog, and I'm like, Whew, it's just me and you, buddy. And, and it's peaceful. It, it's, it's nice. I, I sit there, and I enjoy the, the, the peace around me. And, and honestly, this, that's what we were created for. We were created for, for peace, to enjoy peace. We can look at the, the, the creation narrative, the creation story in Genesis 1, and, and God creates everything, and it's perfect, and it's good, and there's nothing but peace and harmony. Adam and Eve are there, and they have peace and harmony with each other, with God's creation, and with him, and it's absolutely perfect, and it's a picture of what God desires for us. It's a picture of what he intended and what he created. But in that story, in that story is also the advent, the arrival of chaos. When Adam and Eve choose to step out of God's will into their own will, to step out of his design into their plans, 
they introduce chaos that we still experience today. Broken relationships. Broken relationships with one another, with ourselves, with God, and in a world of, of complete and utter chaos. So because part of the human condition is to experience this chaos around us, peace then has to mean something more. It has to mean something deeper than just my surroundings. It's got to be something more true and rooted in something more true because that definition of peace isn't enough. It's like Renee said when, when they lit the, can, the Advent candle that it's, it's, a, it's an idea of control, that peace that comes from that, and it's, it's evasive and it's, it's just not enough. Think about um, even the, the life of Jesus. Jesus, we read in Isaiah 6, is the prince of peace, okay? So he embodies peace, but even he himself was surrounded by conflict in life. We know the, the last three years of his life, people plot to kill him. People slandered him. People challenged him. There was fighting around him. He, he wasn't uh, set apart from that. Or even his, his birth story, his, his narrative. I was reading again this week in, in Luke and, and just thinking about the realities of, um, so Mary is visited by angel and, and she's going to become pregnant and it's, it's going to be a virgin birth. And and her fiancé, Joseph, is like, yeah, right, I don't think so. And, and has to have an angel come convince him not to divorce her or to break off the engagement. And, and I can just imagine that that's not an ideal situation. Her own fiancé didn't believe her initially. What, what do you think the other people thought? Okay, sure, Mary, virgin birth. Yep, that's what they all say. And then she comes uh, to, to term, and she's getting ready to, to um, have the baby. And they're, they're required to travel for a census. Um, which I, I've never been pregnant. I've been near pregnant people. Um, I, I don't think travel is ideal at nine months pregnant, especially on a donkey without a car. It, it's not ideal. And then they, they arrive at the place. They're there in Bethlehem, and, and, and she goes into labor, and everything just falls into place. Man, they just opened a new wing of the hospital that has amazing uh, delivery uh, care, and, and everything's falling into place. And no, that's not the story. They go and there's no room for them in the end. There's other people sleeping on beds while the son of God is being born in a stable. Jesus was the prince of peace in the midst of chaos. This is hopeful for us. It's hopeful for us because it means we can experience peace in the midst of chaos. When life around us is like a box of lights mixed together and broken and doesn't work, we can still experience peace from the prince of peace. This is a peace that's, that's deeper. It's a peace that doesn't require a lack of conflict and chaos, but it's a bigger truth. It's a peace that is rooted in the belief that Jesus is enough. That I can take rest, that I can experience goodness and realize this peace because Jesus is enough. There's a, um, a Hebrew word that's used in the Old Testament to describe peace, and it's a, a more robust a definition than, than how we use this word peace. And it's maybe a word that you've heard before, but it's a word, um, a Hebrew word called shalom. And it's, it's, a, it's a word that describes peace, but it describes it with multi-layers. Um, a peace with, with ourselves, a peace with one another, a, a, a peace with God's creation, a, a peace with God. And, it, and it's a word that, that when we read this in Isaiah 6, the prince of peace, it's, it's, it's referring to this, this, this prince of shalom who makes everything at peace and makes everything new. And so when we see this work of the Prince of Peace in us, we see these influences and these changes and these places that we now experience it. The first is 
um, a sense of wholeness and restoration we have because of Jesus. That we experience this peace because he heals us and makes us whole and makes us new. And chaos is a result of, uh, of the influence of sin and evil in our world. And it's, it's all around us. It, it's not hard to find. Um, go, go turn on the news and you will undoubtedly see chaos. Um, drive down the streets and you will see chaos. And you'll see its effects on relationships and people. We all know broken relationships. We might even be experiencing broken relationships. Chaos is all around us. I said in the last gathering, we, um, my family only lived in North Portland for one week before I had to explain my daughters what strip clubs were because we drive by so many and it's, it's just evident. My, my city's broken and it's in, it's in chaos. And this chaos, this brokenness, this, this uh, influence of evil in our world, it makes its mark on us. People who choose to hurt us. People who, like Jesus, choose to slander these broken relationships, this chaos that we're in. Jesus says it even in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to kill, to steal, and destroy. That there's an influence in our world that causes chaos, that is here to kill, steal, and destroy, to rob our joy, our peace, and our hope, and replace it with uncertainty and doubt and chaos and fear. But Jesus meets us in this and he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We have peace because Jesus heals us, makes us new. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians like this, that that if we are in Christ, if we believe in him, if we put our confidence in him and confess him, we are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. That we have peace with the broken pieces of our lives because of what Jesus has done for us. He is our Prince of Peace, bringing wholeness and restoration. He is our Prince of Peace that brings us a lasting salvation. Because here's the truth. There's chaos all around us in our world, right? Um, we, we see it everywhere we look, but, but there's also chaos within me. Because like Adam and Eve, I at times choose my will in my way and, and not God's will in his way. And I at times contribute to the chaos that's around me. Chaos is around me and it's within me. And this puts me at odds with God because he's not chaotic. He is perfect and true and holy. So Jesus brings peace and that he is the lasting salvation for the chaos, even in me. Look at how Paul says this in, in Romans uh, chapter 5. Starts in verse 1, he says there, this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this word justified, meaning be, because of, of the chaos within us, because of, of sin within us, we, we are at odds with God. We, we have this debt with God. And, and Jesus steps in as our justification. And then it continues in verse 6 and says, You see that at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since... We have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, 
we were reconciled to him through his death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Do you catch those words? That, that we find ourselves at the end of God's wrath, enemies with God until Jesus brings peace. The saving power. The prince of peace. Now, at the end of, of most of our gatherings here, we, we come to the table as part of our worship and we take the bread and we, we, we dip it in the juice and Jesus asks us to do this in remembrance of him and it's, it's remembering how he took on violence, how he took on the chaos of the world in his flesh to bring his saving power to you and I and to give us peace with God, a peace that we cannot attain ourselves a debt that I cannot pay myself that Jesus steps into and sacrificially gives us his peace. He is our prince of peace. He brings us wholeness. He brings us salvation. And we see in him a complete holistic renewal of everything. Revelations, uh, Revelation 21 is one of my, my favorite passages and it's, it's describing where this is all going. Right? It's describing what's going to happen to this world and, and, and what God intends and, and that, that what he had set out in creation to be in harmony with his people is going to be restored. And Jesus says, everything will be made new. And for those of us who are in Christ, um, we will no longer have to connect with him through faith. Faith will be irrelevant. We will be face to face with God. And it says that there will be no tears, no crying, no grief, no pain. It's, it's perfect harmony. And this is where this story is going. Jesus has secured that peace for us. That becomes a perspective that, that, that no matter what I am facing in a current circumstance or reality, whatever is going on in my world, I can look ahead and know I have peace because the Prince of Heath is going to make all things new. C.S. Lewis describes it um, in an analogy of, uh, that it's kind of like climbing a mountain. I don't know if we have any mountaineers here, um, but if we were to go out and, and climb Mount Hood, uh, as we are driving up to the mountain and we could see it in its fullness, it, it would just be beautiful. We could see where we're going, right? We could see the peak of the mountain, and it's just a quick little shimmy up this 11,000-foot mountain. Um, but, but as we got closer and closer, and as we began to ascend the mountain, we, we would most likely lose sight of the peak. As we get into the thick of the forest and, and go over hills and down valleys and, and on our way up the ascension, there might be moments where we get to see it again. Oh, there, there's the peak. That's where we're going. That's, that's going to motivate us. That keeps me moving forward. That keeps me ascending, keeps me hiking. But, but much of the time, it, it, it wouldn't be something that we could see. This becomes something that, that we root ourselves in to know and to believe and to have peace from this reality that Jesus has secured our peace, and he is going to make all things new. Whatever I experience here, it's not going to trump the Prince of Peace. Tim Keller writes about this, this idea of peace, this idea of shalom that is a, a, a restoration of um, my, myself, relationship with myself, relationship with, with others, with God's creation, and even God himself. And he says this, it means complete reconciliation, a state of the, the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual. Because all relationships are right, perfect, and filled with joy. Isn't that a beautiful picture? 
Man, isn't that, isn't that a beautiful picture that we can root ourselves into to know that this is the work of the Prince of Peace? This is what we celebrate in Advent, that Jesus, this, this son was born to us and he is this Prince of Peace. This is what he wants for you and I. This is what he extends to you and I. He wants us to be people of peace. In John um, 14, uh, the, the account of, of Jesus with, with his disciples, and he's, he just washed their feet. He's having dinner with them. He's getting ready to face the cross, and then he's not going to be with them physically anymore, and he's preparing them for this. And, and he tells them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He tells his followers then and now, my peace I give you. And he says, I don't, I don't give as the world gives peace because the world promises peace in all these different things, but it just doesn't ever seem to deliver and come through. The world promises peace in, in the political realm. If I can get uh, my person elected or I can get my bill passed, then, then, then peace will happen. And yet it's elusive and doesn't happen there. And, and maybe it's in, in, in the job world. If I can get the right salary with the right job, I'll, I'll have peace. Or if I can get the right relationship. And time and time again, the world promises a version of peace that it, it just can't come through on. When Jesus says, my, my peace, I give you. What is his peace? This peace that, that, that puts us um, sanctified uh, or right with God, that puts us um, in peace with ourselves and with one another. This is the peace that he's given us. In Philippians 4, 7, and Ryan and Renee read this earlier, and I'm going to revisit it. It's just beautiful words describing the peace of God. It says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's a peace that isn't contingent on my surroundings. It's a peace that even when it doesn't make sense to be peaceful, where I should be at odds, where I should be in turmoil, yet the, yet the peace of God is present. This is what he's extending to you and I. This is what we're celebrating at the Advent. The Prince of Peace has come to bring us his peace. Not the world's peace. His peace, surpassing understanding in all cir- circumstances. Um, I found myself in a, uh, a moment of, of really significant chaos a couple of years, probably about two and a half years ago. Uh, my grandfather, who um, I'm very close with, uh, who's my pastor growing up and just sweet, sweet man of God. I've got a picture of him in my office um, I probably learned more about being a Jesus follower and a man from him than just about anyone. And, and two and a half years ago, he was dying of cancer, and it was really difficult. Um, it was an a ugly, ugly, harsh cancer, and, and it was hard because I didn't, I didn't feel like he deserved that, right? I mean, he's just been this amazing man, and, and yet it was having its way with him and deteriorating him. And um, I, I was here there. My family's in North Phoenix in Arizona, and I would get calls from my family. And every time I would see that it's a family member, my, my heart would stop. And is this, is this the call? You know. And uh, on this one particular day, I, I get a call from my mother, and, and I'm fretting. I'm just, man, I'm not ready to say goodbye. And she tells me this horrific news, but it, it didn't have anything to do with my grandpa. Um, in, in North Phoenix, 
where my family is, I also have a childhood friend, and he and a coworker who ride um, to work and home together, they, they got home, and they had parked the car, and they were standing in his yard just talking about the work week. It was a Friday afternoon, and, and they were just relaxing, and, and a teenager driving way too fast in a big car on his phone came speeding around the corner, lost control, and struck and killed both of them. And it was just devastating. I mean, he was a young man. I think he was 32 at the time, um, newly married with a pregnant wife right inside the house. And, and it was just absolute chaos. Um, my, my mother had called me and the family had asked if I'd come officiate the, the funeral. And I realized offici- officiating a funeral is probably not a common experience with all of us, but you can imagine um, you have a role to play there. You're, you're helping people grieve and to uh, memorialize a person and it's hard to do if you don't know who has passed away it's really difficult when you have affections and care deeply for someone and so I found myself uh, officiating this funeral and it was just really difficult and chaotic and what do you even say in those moments and I fly home and I'm, I'm home for a few days to receive a call that that my grandpa had just passed and so I I found myself at the same church on a Friday two weeks apart doing my second funeral, officiating the second funeral. And it just was too much. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't push through. I, I just lost it. So I found myself hiding in a broom closet of this church and, and just absolutely at odds with the chaos of the situation. I, I couldn't contain the grief. I couldn't contain the confusion, the anger, all of these emotions just swirling into chaos. And I said one of the most simple and effective prayers I've ever prayed. I said, Jesus... You know I'm hurting. You know I'm confused. This is overwhelming. But I believe you are enough. Will you lead me into your peace? I believe that you're enough. Would you lead me into your peace? It's a very simple prayer. It's a very effective prayer. And I had this sense of the Prince of Peace. I had this sense of his guiding, his calming presence all throughout. And I, I was still hurting. It was still a really hard situation. It was still really sad and really difficult. And and yet, in this moment where there should not have been peace, it was not reasonable for there to be peace. I just had this sense of God's peace. So I want to lead you into that invitation. Where do you need to say, Jesus, I I feel chaos. I sense chaos here, but, but I know you are enough. Lead me into your peace. Our, our maturing faith is a growing dependency on Jesus for, for peace and for hope and love. Sometimes I think that we, we think the opposite, that, that the more mature I am, the less I'll be dependent. But, but actually, it's a growing dependence on who he is. He's extending this peace to you that surpasses understanding. It's an amazing gift that he's given you. Will you open it today? We're going to come to these tables here in, in, in just a moment. We're going to continue in our worship. And, and I encourage you, come and open that gift of peace. Where are you needing to experience more of him? Because he is enough. Let's pray. Jesus, I, uh, I pray as we come to these, these tables, um, that we come with the awareness that you, you have brought peace. That no matter what we've experienced what we are experiencing or what we will go through, ultimately you have secured our peace. I pray today that the peace that's described in Philippians that surpasses understanding. I pray that, that we would access that with you.
that we would bring the places of chaos and confusion and honestly hold them before you, knowing that you're enough and ask for your grace and peace. We thank you, Lord, in your name.